Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Beat My Guest. I'm your host, AJ Mass. If you're new to the show, each week I invite a guest to sit in the hot seat and field questions in a wide variety of topics, earning points for the episode on a scale of 1 to 100. For those of you playing along at home, you have but one task set before you, and that is to see if you can beat my guest. But before you can beat my guest, you need to be my guest. So let's give a warm welcome to today's guest, Heather Hurley. Heather, how are you? I am fine. I am happy to be back in the hot seat. Yeah, it seems like only yesterday you were here, but it was much longer than that. Uh, everyone was definitely clamoring for your return, and here you are. Thank you for coming back and not being scared away. Uh, why don't you give everyone a brief little synopsis of who you be, what you do, and all that hoopla. I am Heather Hurley. I'm a civil servant, a federal government employee. I work for the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., doing strategic planning and strategery and all sorts of fun bureaucratic things. I am both eager and anxious to be back on Beat My Guest, hoping to improve on my performance from last time. And uh, I I left here wanting more, so I'm back for more. Please, sir, I want some more. Uh, Regular Oliver, you are. Here's how it's going to work, Heather. Uh, We are going to have, as usual, four rounds of four questions apiece. In each round, I will let you know the categories in order that we'll be using for that round. Before I read each question, you will get to lock in how many points you wish each question to be worth. Get it right, you get the points. It is just that simple. Uh, There's also going to be a halftime bonus for 10 points. And at the end of the game, you will field what we call the confidence question, your last chance to try to prove upon your final score. But I will explain all of that nonsense when we get there. We cannot get there until we kick things off with round one. Heather, are you ready to go? I am ready. Excellent. So for round one, as always, as usual, point values available to you are one, three, five, and seven. Here are the categories we're going to be using tonight, kicking things off with around the world, following it up with sports, moving along to history. And we are going to wrap up round one with what comes next. But around the world is first one, three, five, or seven. I will make this my five. Five points for around the world. Good luck. And here we go. The German outlaw known as Hannikel. H-A-N-N-I-K-E-L. Was hanged in 1783. Shortly thereafter, it was decided that all men who shared his origin would be drafted into the military. What group of people did this edict encompass? Well, this is American colonial era. And when I think colonial era, Germany and military, I think about the Hessians who I believe were from a part of Germany called Hesse or Hesse, a state or a province. I'm not sure what the right term would be because I think Germany back then was a whole federation of of entities. But for the lack of a better idea on a distinguishing characteristic, I'm going to assume that this is how Hessians got their origin. And I'm going to say it's something that applied to the people from Hesse. Sucks for them, I guess. <laughs> Certainly, uh, absolutely, especially if they uh, didn't really want to. Well, the German outlaw known as Hannikel, uh, he was pretty much despised universally. Uh, he was kind of a wandering uh, outlaw who kind of stuck to the fringes of the town. He had a gaggle of wives and children with him, and they would just kind of run havoc over the countryside and kind of move on to the next place. Uh, and they caught him, 
They hung him and they said, all of you who followed Hannibal, you gypsies will now be drafted into our military. <sighs> this was the end, as it were, for most of the Romanch people, the Romani uh, gypsies is what I was looking for. Not tramps, not thieves, just gypsies. Well, they were thieves. They were thieves. Um, I, yeah, I, I didn't really get a good look at the uh, the outfits they were wearing, so perhaps they were tramps as well. Certainly not uh, tramp steamers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, rocky start, but, you know, that's okay. We still have a one, we have a three, we have a seven, and we have sports. I'm kind of leaning towards one here. Just call it psychic powers, but you tell me. My reputation precedes me. I am going to indeed make this my one-pointer. One pointer it is. All right, good luck, Heather. Here is your one point question in sports. By the time that the NFL ceased operations of their Europe based league in 2007, five of the six remaining franchises hailed from Germany. What city's team took home the 15th and final World Bowl? I was today years old when I learned there was a World Bowl, which sounds very <laughs> intriguing. Well, I can certainly guess a German city. The problem is I have to guess the correct German city. So (laughs) minor detail, pick the correct German city. So you've got, and it isn't even necessarily, the problem is it's not even necessarily a big German city that I know about. I often think about people from overseas following American sports and hearing about Green Bay, Wisconsin, or, you know, some other place that is just, not m- well known for other things other than a particular sports franchise. Let's see. So the connection to the last question was Germany. Uh, so I, I can't really come up with a, a like punny hint at a city necessarily from the first question. So I have to take a bit of a guess and I'll go with a city, a German city that I know has some sports connections. I will say Munich. Munich is your answer. Definitely uh, a German city. So uh We've narrowed it down at least to where you're, you're in the in the set of potential yes. answers. Absolutely, uh, and yeah, no, I was not going to be really a, a big jerk here and uh, you know tell you that the five of the six franchises uh, were in Germany and the winner wasn't. No, I didn't do that. This was a German city. There was no devilish trickery there. Uh, <laughs> the Frankfurt Galaxy was a team that was there pretty much from the beginning of what was once called the World League of American Football, and then they just kind of rebranded it as NFL Europa really didn't catch on anywhere outside of Germany, which is why they had so many teams there towards the end. Uh, The losing team was the Frankfurt Galaxy. They were the best team during the regular season. They hosted the game, but were upset 37 to 28 in a valiant effort by the team known as the Sea Devils from the city of Hamburg. Oh, Hamburg. Other teams, uh, I believe uh, at that time were held from Berlin Cologne and Rhine. All right, all places that I've heard of, so that's a something. Yeah, I believe uh, I believe maybe it was either Amsterdam that was still left. Uh, I think the Amsterdam a- Admirals were the one outside team uh, team from Scotland called the Scottish Claymores. I think they, they moved to Germany for this season, but uh, alas, twas not to be anymore. Scottish Claymores. Now that's a team. That's a mascot. That's a team. Indeed. Well, we are going to move on to history here. Uh, you have a three and you have a seven. What say ye for history? I'll go big on history. I'll go seven. Good luck. Here is your question. What documents... Signed by the United States in the late 1700s, 
And most notable today for the official declaration that America is, quote, not in any sense founded on the Christian religion, were written to diminish the impact of pirates and other outlaws of the sea. Wait, it's not too often that you've got a question about historical documents and then pirates make an appearance. That was a delightful little surprise. Now I can't get images of, like, Johnny Depp out of my head from Pirates of the Caribbean. And that's just a pointless distraction that's not helping me towards the answer. Why is the rum gone? Um, okay. Let's see. Pirates and other outlaws of the sea. Boy, outlaws of the sea would be an excellent band name. Or profession to write on your tax tax return with the IRS. What is your job? Outlaw of the sea. I'm obviously just spinning my wheels here because I don't, I don't even know that I have a good guess. And I'm trying to think back to the last question and if I can think of a connection there, but nothing is sparking in my brain. So I, I can't even come up with a, well, I guess the, the last one talked about Hamburg. So I'll, I'll say the Hamburg papers. The Hamburg papers, which I, I believe uh, were, were signed by Mayor McCheese. I'm stuck. <laughs> that was pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> most of the historical significance of these documents have kind of been uh, left by the wayside, except for that one little clause that was put in there, which kind of uh, has reared its head in recent years because of uh, certain politicians running on platforms that say that the United States is a Christian nation. And uh, this is the only uh, document that specifically says we are not, and we signed it. And so it kind of is usually brought up in debates and uh, policy uh, wonks like to trot this out. Uh, these are known as the Barbary Treaties, which uh, were signed to prevent all of the uh, pirates uh, and ships that were being stolen on the Barbary Coast. They were signed in Tripoli, so they can also, an alternate answer would be the Friendship Agreement of Tripoli, but uh, Barbary treaties is what we were looking for. Barbary, definitely a term I, I do associate with uh, pirates and outlaws of the sea. So I, I, I can see how I can see how I might have gotten to that, though I did not. That's okay. You know what? Oh, for three. But good things come to those who wait, and uh, we shall wait no longer with question four in round one. It will be worth three points to you. And it is what comes next. Simply put, I'm going to give you a series of items, and you must come up with, you guessed it, what comes next. Pretty really self-explanatory when you think about it. Why am I babbling so much? I don't know. Here is your three-point question. St. John's Gardens, the Millbank Medical Center, the headquarters of Burberry, what comes next? Hmm. These sound to me like British places. I'm not sure why. I don't know. Perhaps Burberry is a British company. I'm trying to think of how they would be sequential, though. They're perhaps the site of something or designed by someone, a famous architect. And certainly, I don't know about the first two, but Burberry as a company can't have been around for all that long, you know, not hundreds and hundreds of years. So that rules out a lot of the British architects that I know, like Christopher Wren and such, who were around way before Burberry. I guess they could all be places where something happened. And then I have to come up with the fourth place where such a thing happened. But I don't know that, for example, royal wedding, a royal wedding happened at the headquarters of Burberry. They're not all hospitals, so they're not all places where 
like the Beatles were born or something. They honestly might not even be British. So I, 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 I do feel my, the Anglophile in me is tingling. So I will say I'm going to guess a British place at least. I will guess... I will guess Westminster Abbey. Westminster Abbey is your answer. Uh, you were right to be tingling. Indeed, this uh, has something to do with England. And in fact, Very good. And the city of London. So not you're not crazy. You're tingling. Your spidey senses were correct to be tingling there. I'm sensing a however. However, uh, although, you know, there, if there was a royal wedding at, at Burberry headquarters. I, I can't imagine all the brides maids consenting to wear those those rain boots but uh who knows <laughs> it'd be a lot of plaid that's for sure a lot of plaid indeed so uh the link from the previous question uh, you know barbary treaties i heard barbary i thought burberry i went to google maps and saw right there that uh burberry headquarters are really close to the river tem along the way there there are four landmarks just bang 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 marked on the map there and you know i often hear the complaints that i'm too american centric so here's a question for the londoners if you travel down horse ferry road towards the river thames you pass st john's gardens then you pass millbank medical center then you pass burberry headquarters and right there on the water the security service building otherwise known as mi5 I started thinking if it's the Houses of Parliament, which is something I thought of in my mind and then uh, discarded, I was going to be out. I was afraid I was going to be outraged, but I will calm my outrage. I'll pull it back. I'll save it for later. Um, I accept that answer. Yeah, well, well, good, because, uh, you know, they're they're watching you. All right. Well, no points in that round. Uh, but do not despair, Heather, because we have another round coming right up on its heels. Covered in rain boots or not, uh, point values available to you are going to be two, four, six, and eight. And here are the questions we will be using in round two, kicking things off with Pop Goes the Blank. Uh, then we'll move along to That Happened. After that, we have Wiggle Room. And we're going to wrap up the first half and round two with analogies. But first on our plate, Pop Goes the Blank. How many points? I will do four points. Four points. Good luck. Here is your Pop Goes the Blank question. Complete the following lines from a Monty Python sketch. Stand and deliver. Dennis Moore, the same. And now, my lords and ladies, you're blank. The problem is that I'm not, oh, so I don't know the quote, which is, again, shame on me for falling down on Monty Python. I know everybody, I know. Looking back at the last question, there's just there's an obvious British connection, and I don't know that there's necessarily anything more than a British connection. Hmm. Well, I'm so apologetic to all the Monty Python fans. <laughs> I can't even come up. I'm going to have to just pass. I can't even come up with a funny guess. This is a deep cut, so don't feel too bad. It is a deep cut. Uh, you know, we've been talking about certainly outlaws uh, throughout this uh, first uh, round, and so this is a Monty Python skit about the world's uh, most famous outlaw, uh, Dennis Moore, a highwayman, if you will. Uh, and he's really bad at his job. He doesn't quite get this whole redistribution of wealth thing. Uh, and when he robs from the uh, rich and gives to the poor, he uh, he steals their lupins. Lupins. Lupins are flowers. Oh. <laughs> he he steals their flowers. So lupins is what I was looking for. Did I mention he's not very good at his job? Well, you know, 
even in every profession, there's your top tier and there's your bottom tier and then there's everyone in between. Indeed. What 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 is the world of highwaymen coming to? Anywho, let's just forget that happened and let's move ahead to that happened because uh, that's what's up next. Uh, that happened. Uh, you had the four point question uh, go by the wayside, but uh, you have a two. You have a six, and you have an eight available to you. How much? Say ye. Let's do six. Six points for that happen. Good luck. Let's get on the board here with the following question. Thirteen years after being stolen from a Minnesota museum, the FBI recently announced they had finally recovered what missing item of movie memorabilia. You know, in the Washington, D.C. area, we have a great many museums, including those of the Smithsonian Institution, which despite popular belief is more than one museum, it's many museums, one of which is uh, the Museum of American History. And one of its great pieces of memorabilia are a set of uh, ruby slippers from the Wizard of Oz. And I've seen them in person. It's one of those only in D.C. things that is delightful. Or I guess I should say, I thought it was one of those only in D.C. things until I heard recently, I think, that they used sequins and some kind of prop DNA from the slippers here in D.C. to authenticate these slippers from, I I guess now I'm finding out, Minnesota. Um, I could possibly be misremembering this or not understanding what happened but I think, but um, bum, that happened. So I, I believe it's it's Wizard of Oz ruby slippers. Wizard of Oz ruby slippers is your answer. Well done, ruby slippers is the answer. Uh, I thought perhaps that you might have been fooled by the fact that there is uh, in the Smithsonian this well-known pair of slippers that they say are the ruby slippers. Apparently. Uh, Judy Garland wore four different pairs of ruby slippers during the filming of Wizard of Oz, uh, one of which is owned by a private collector, one of which is in residence at the Smithsonian, one of which was purchased uh, by uh, the duo of Steven Spielberg and Leonardo DiCaprio. Those Uh, hacks. Yeah, well, they they put it on display somewhere in some sort of museum. And the uh, fourth pair uh, was in a North Dakota museum uh, dedicated to the life of Judy Garland, and was on loan to this Minnesota museum when the thief struck. Uh, the person who ran the facility uh, was asked if he wanted the slippers to be put into the safe overnight for, for safekeeping. Literally. Uh, he said, no, who's going to break in here and steal these ruby slippers in the middle of Minnesota? And, well, the next day they were poof, vanished, gone. And 13 years later... They have finally been found and will be returned to their home in North Dakota. Dorothy's Ruby Slippers. What a world, what a world. You are correct. Six points. (laughs) The moral of the story is don't let people borrow your things. Good grief. Exactly. I concur. All right. Well done. You are on the board. Six points for you. Let us keep this momentum rolling. You have the high, low left, a two and an Eight. Wiggle Room is up, our numbers category. What would you like to wager for Wiggle Room? I'm not super confident on this category in general, so I'd go with two. I think I would agree with you there. Uh, numbers category tends to be a bit of a dart throw from time to time, but uh, hopefully you can get in, at least into the proper neighborhood for your guests. Here is your two-point Wiggle Room question. In the 1939 script for the film The Wizard of Oz, how many times does the word brick appear? either in dialogue, 
song lyrics, or stage directions? Oh, man, or stage directions. So you've got the yellow brick road, follow the yellow brick road, etc. What is my wiggle room? 10%? 10% in either direction. And of course, stage directions could involve all sorts of, they step onto the, the yellow brick road, they look around the yellow brick road. Well, uh, sh- a bit of a... I, sh- I should not say it's going to be a bit of a guess. It's obviously going to be a guess because if there's a person out there who knows this answer exactly, good for you. Um, I, I don't know if even the person who wrote the script would necessarily know this offhand. So trying to estimate, oh my goodness, I say trying to estimate as if my estimate is going to be even in the ballpark of, of I don't even have an order of magnitude of, is it a hundred times? Is it a thousand times? I think it's probably not a thousand times. Maybe not even be a hundred times. I think, I think there's maybe just the one song about the, the thing and that, you know, it doesn't have it mentioned a ton of times. So I'll go with, I'll go with 50. 50 is your answer. So, you know, I came up with this question, uh, you know, obviously spinning off from the Ruby Slippers into Wizard of Oz. And this is one of them where I had no idea what the answer was myself, but uh, I found the script online. Uh, it was the original script that they used uh, to shoot the movie. And I Did you count them? Did you read the entire script and count them? No. Okay. You type find brick and it comes up how many times it's there. <laughs> Come on. I'm not that... I'm dedicated. I'm not that insane. Yeah, and I also, you know, you know the song, uh, you know, follow the yellow brick, follow the yellow brick, follow the yellow brick road. So I, I was expecting this number to be a lot higher uh, than it turned out to be. Uh, obviously, it is not mentioned at all until Dorothy lands in Oz, uh, and after the Wicked Witch has been dispatched and uh, Glinda kind of sets her on her way, the Munchkins come up to her. Follow the yellow brick road. 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 Surprisingly. Only about 20 times during that scene from start to finish, despite the fact that it seems a lot more when you're watching the scene. You know, they don't spend a lot of time talking about the Elbrick Road. Once they're on it, they're on it. They probably say the word road a lot more. Uh, sure. Uh, but it's only 37. Oh, wow. That Yeah, that is less than I would have thought. And it's less than you said, and unfortunately, just a little bit under the wiggle room of 33.3 to 40.7. I don't know why anyone there would would have put a a fractional word there, but uh, I didn't do the rounding. You can do that yourself. Again, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not going to count all the bricks, and I'm not going to do the rounding. So there. Math, schmath. Math, math, indeed. Uh, analogies, however, is up next. Let's see here. Eight points is what is left to you. So this is going to be an eight-point analogy. I hope, hope that you'll be able to get this correct as we head into halftime. Are you ready? I am. All right, Heather, then here we go. Hamilton is to King as Burke is to what? That's B-U-R-K-E, Burke. Right. Well, the first thing when you said Hamilton, the first thing that popped into mind because I am a millennial is the musical Hamilton. I thought, oh, great. I know all sorts of things about the musical Hamilton. Um, so hit me with it. And you said King. And I was like, oh, great. There's King George III in the musical Hamilton. I know of several of the actors who've played King George III. Rock on. Hit me with the second half of the analogy. And then you did. And you said Burke. I thought, well, Shoot, that's not a musical. So 
my whole plan to go through the Broadway history of Jonathan Groff straight out the window. So I have to think about other, well, I guess it could still be the musical Hamilton, but I don't know how Burke ties into that at all. So other uses of the word Hamilton, I don't even know. I mean, I guess there's, is there a, a kitchen appliances company that's Hamilton? Nothing's coming to mind, which makes me think, well, shoot, maybe it is the musical. But then what is Burke? So, okay, discarding the Hamilton King half of it entirely and just focusing on the Burke part of it. I don't even know person, place, or thing here. I guess we kind of have a people theme, right? Like Hamilton, be a person named Hamilton. King is a person. Burke is also a person. Then I need to fill in the blank, possibly with a title like king i i guess uh since i don't know for sure uh in the name of equality i will say queen queen is your answer well i certainly expected and may i add moi ha ha i certainly expected uh whoever got this question to immediately think about throwing away their shot and uh <laughs> singing along with lin-manuel I miranda totally did absolutely uh, as it turns out, I was not quite ready to leave the land of Oz just yet. Uh, these are people. What? The character of the Wicked Witch of the West was played by an actress named Margaret Hamilton. Oh, it sure was. Uh, also known as the uh, Maxwell House coffee lady in commercials. <laughs> That's how my generation originally learned who she was. And then, oh, wait, she's the one who was painted green? Okay. Uh, Margaret Hamilton played the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz. Mabel King played the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wiz. Oh. Billy Burke played the Good Witch Glinda in The Wizard of Oz. I was looking for who played the Good Witch in The Wiz, and she is an actress of great renown. Her last name also could double as, as a noun of a thing rather than just a name. I'm talking about a horn. I'm talking about Lena Horn. Though I did not get that answer, I find it very satisfying. <laughs> Isn't it, though? Uh, we're going to move on to halftime. You have six points. It is not necessarily double digits, but that's okay because there is plenty of game left. And it starts now with our only partial credit question of the game. I will read you the following halftime bonus question, and then we're going to pause for a brief word from our sponsors. Okay, I don't have any sponsors. Sue me. Well, don't sue me. I don't have any money either because I don't have any sponsors. But anyway, here is your halftime bonus question. After I read it to you, I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it, and then we'll come back and find out if you can give me the correct answers to this question. In the 1973 animated version of Robin Hood, the 11 main characters are all represented by a type of animal. For two points each, I would like for you to name for me any five of the nine distinct species of animal that make up the 11 main characters of Robin Hood. Take a little bit of time to think about that, Heather, and we will be back with your answer after the break. Are you beating my guest? Or is my guest beating you? Tell us all about it on Twitter or Gmail at BMGPod. If you like what you're hearing, please review and rate us on iTunes. And if you'd like to support Beat My Guest, helping to make more episodes like this possible, please consider becoming a patron at patrons.podbean.com slash beatmyguest. And now, back to me for the second half of this week's episode. 
And welcome back to Beat My Guest. My guest this week is Heather Hurley. And when we last left Heather, she was sitting on six points and working on the following halftime bonus question, which read as follows. In the 1973 animated version of Robin Hood, there were 11 main characters, each represented by a type of animal. For two points each, I have asked Heather to name for me any five of the nine distinct species of animal uh, that was used in that cartoon. What have you got for me, Heather? Well, I think I've seen this probably at least once, maybe multiple times as a girl. It predates me, but only by a little bit. So I think when I was a kid, we still had, you know, VHS tapes and everything. And this was what we did instead of looking at our cell phones as the kids do these days. So I'm delighted that you did not ask me, like, who did the voices? Because you never know when I was braced for, for something that would be more challenging to guess at because I don't have a lot of specific memories about this. So um, I'm going to do a bit of educated guessing and I am going to say fox, rabbit, bear, cat, and dog. All right. Your answers have been recorded and I'm going to uh, go through the proper answers. And, uh, and, you know, I got to tell you, I think I'm a little older than you because we did not have uh, VHS tapes when uh, I first discovered this uh, movie. And I actually did not see it in the theaters, but I had the book. <laughs> it was a picture book with words. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I learned who these characters were by reading a book and looking at the oh pictures. My goodness. I'm telling you, we have, of course, Robin Hood, of course, you can't have a movie Robin Hood without Robin Hood himself. And uh, both Robin and Maid Marian were the same species because you can't have interspecies love uh, in the 70s. Uh, But uh, they were both foxes. Of course, Maid Marian was a vixen, but that is still fox. So fox is correct for two points. Well done. Uh, Going down the rest of the list. We had Lady Clock, who was a chicken. Go figure. Uh, we had the character Alan Adele, uh, was a rooster. We had Prince John, who later became King Richard. And we all know Richard is Richard the Lionhearted, so they absolutely made him a lion. Oh, yeah, I see what they did there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we had Sir Hiss, as the name implies. He was the bad guy. He was a snake. Uh, Friar Tuck, a, a beloved character was played by a badger. Uh, Little John was a bear. Two more points for you. Well done. We had the Sheriff Nottingham, who was uh, a very, very nasty wolf. And we had a pair of wacky sidekicks uh, named Trigger and Nutsy, who, uh, being bad guys, uh, took on the form of vultures. So no rabbits, no cats, no dogs. However... Four points for you. We're going to add that to the six you had coming into halftime. And you've hit double digits. You're at 10 points. Well done. I definitely remember a fox and a bear, maybe just from like the cover of the VHS tape. So I I should have gone maybe a little more barnyard in my guesses, but I'll take the four points. It is time for the second half to begin. And round three, the point values are going to stay the same, Heather, at two, four, six, and eight. But the categories, they're going to be a changing. And this is what they are going to be a changing to. We're going to kick things off with everybody's favorite category. Audio hodgepodge, which admittedly is a bit of a lifestyle. We're going to follow it up with who done it. Move along to literature and wrap up round three with television. But audio hodgepodge is up first. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to ask you this question. After I finish the question, I'm going to play a little clip for you. Hopefully 
when you're done listening to the clip, you'll be able to give me the proper answer to the question. The only question I have before I ask that question is how many points do you want to have on Audio Hot Podge? I will go four. Four points on Audio Hodgepodge. Here is your Audio Hodgepodge question. Listen to this clip and tell me the name of the fan organization heard here in full voice. So a lot of that clip was a repeated, I believe that we will win. A lot of cheering and hoopla. And I'm thinking sports fandoms. And unfortunately, I want to say, well, unfortunately, I want to say that the, the I believe that we will win thing was a soccer related thing, maybe even a World Cup related thing. But unfortunately, that's not what you're asking about. You are asking about the organization that was heard. And I know the name of a few um, American sports fandoms. I'm a Packers fan. We're cheeseheads, etc. But as far as soccer fandoms and like national team World Cup fandoms, I'm coming up blank. The only thing that I'm thinking of as far as nicknames are like Nicknames of the teams, and I guess it might not even be a World Cup thing after all, but the only the only soccer nickname I can think of is the Gunners, which I think has to do with the, the team Arsenal, but I don't think it has to do with the fans. I guess that's what I will, will go with, though, is the Gunners. The Gunners is your answer. Well, to uh, satisfy your itch there, that uh, spidey sense of yours, <laughs> uh, this indeed was related to soccer. Uh, it was not related to the most recent World Cup, however, because, well, the United States soccer team did not make the most recent World Cup. And therefore, the, this excited singing and everything actually came from the 2014 World Cup. There is a, a dedicated group of soccer fans who travel and follow the American national team around from venue to venue. Uh, full voice is basically what British announcers usually say when they, the crowd starts to sing, oh, the fans in the full voice here today. So that was kind of the tip off that it was indeed soccer. I'm going to give people two options here. Uh, generally speaking, the group of fans who travel around and follow the United States team is colloquially known as Sam's Army, spinoff of Uncle Sam. Uh, and so Sam's Army is usually how they're called. This particular group featured in this piece is a newer incarnation, uh, maybe a subset therein, and they call themselves the American Outlaws. Wow. And, uh, I did not know that either of those groups existed, but that's great. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I was trying to get uh, our fan base a little more uh, rowdy at, at games, and I don't mean Tampa Bay rowdies because that's... That's an old soccer team, although they still exist in the minor leagues. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, we're going to move on. Well, next up on our category list is Who Done It? You have a two, you have a six, and you have an eight. Two, please. And here is your question. At age 15, 
She became the youngest female artist to reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100, a record that has stood for over half a century. Although she's considered a one-hit wonder in the United States, she has, however, had 27 songs reach the top 40 in Germany over the course of her career. Who done it? Hmm. Age 15, happening 50 or more years ago, would mean this person is at least in her 60s or perhaps older. However, only having one number one hit... Um, confuses me a little bit because a lot of the the people that come to mind, I would think, have a lot of hits, starting very young and then just going throughout their career. The Germany thing totally muddies the water because the only American entity that I know of that had like the huge German musical career is Don't Hassle the Hoff, and that's not what this answer is. Yeah, I don't think he was ever uh, a 15-year-old female artist, but uh, you never know. Well, yeah, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I don't think that's the right answer here. So, let's see. The last question mentioned Sam's Army. Could this be a Samantha? I can't think of any famous Samantha singers. Let's see. If this happened about 65 years ago in the 50s, hmm, I can't quite logic this one out. Although I'm sure I'll be smacking myself once the answer is revealed. So I will say, I will say Aretha Franklin in memory of the recently departed Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin is your answer. Uh, and I know you just said that in tribute and don't expect that to be right since she had like uh, about 80 plus hits. <laughs> over the course yes, of her indeed. Far from a one hit wonder, to be sure. Uh, you have heard the song that this uh, female artist sang. Uh, in fact, you just heard it at the end of the clip that I uh, played for you. Towards the end of the clip there, you may uh, recall hearing uh, the American Outlaws singing, I love you, I love you, I love you, and where I go, I'll follow, I'll follow. Ah. I'll follow. This is the singer of I Will Follow Him. And uh, she sang this song in German, uh, did not do well. She re-recorded it in English. Uh, it uh, was a big hit, and her career did not take off here, but uh, she sang a lot of German songs. And for whatever reason, that was her thing, and she had hit after hit after hit. Uh, I believe she's going back in the studio now for one more album, and uh, the name probably doesn't apply anymore because she was really tiny at the time. Little Peggy March. Huh. I am most familiar with that. The I Will Follow Him song from Sister Act, I am afraid to say. But now I, today I learned something. And if, I mean, if I know anything about the German language, it's that it just romantically rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Doesn't it though? <laughs> we are going to move along. Let's put the little Peggy March in, in the back, in the rearview mirror. Uh, let her sail off into the German sunset with with David Hasselhoff as as Kit drives into the sunset. And uh, you have a six. You have an eight left. Literature is on deck. What will you put for the literature question? I will go uh, big here with eight. Had a feeling. Had a feeling. Hopefully uh, this will be something in uh, your own uh, personal Dewey Decimal System. But let's find out. Here is your eight-point literature question. What is the name? of Louisa May Alcott's 1886 novel, which wraps up the unofficial trilogy that began with Little Women. Little Women was the first book. 
I think Little Men was the second book. And the connection here is March from the last question because in the family ends March. I believe, if I recall correctly, and it's been a minute since I read these books, that the third book was called Joe's Boys. Joe's Boys is your answer to the question. I mean, the last answer was Little Peggy March. That just screams for me to go to a literature question based on little women in some way, shape, or form, doesn't it? Uh, Like you said. Indeed, uh, Louise Malcott's first book, Little Women. The second book, Little Men. Uh, She follows the next generation. uh, And she follows that generation even further in book number three. Question is, which sister did she follow? She followed Joe. Joe's Boys is correct. Eight points for you. Well done. Well remembered. Very, very good. It has been quite some time since I read those books, but uh, I'm glad that I remembered. There you go. Excellent job. Excellent job. That was a toughie. That was a tricky one, but you pulled it off with great aplomb. Uh, and I don't mean Eve. Uh, so uh, six points is all that is left for you. Look, it's better than Legolas, all right? Don't give me the look. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was hoping to avoid all memory of that. I had banished it from my mind, and now it's like an open wound. It's terribly punny as, it, as if it were yesterday. <laughs> all right. Six-point question is all that is left. It is television. Are you ready, Heather? As ready as I'll ever be. For four seasons. Joe Reynolds had a series of rocky relationships with bad boys like Jake and Reed on what show? These names are not ringing any bells. That could be because it's a show that predates me. That could be because it's a show currently on that I just don't watch. But it sounds soap opera-y or dramatic um, in a like a Dynasty Dallas Gossip Girl kind of a way. However, I watched Gossip Girl, and none of those names are familiar. Joe Reynolds, Jake, and Reed. Those definitely sound like teen, heartthrobby kinds of names. The sad thing is I've watched a lot of teen heartthrobby shows. Um, The O.C., Dawson's Creek, Felicity, all your WB classics from back in the day. Um, Beverly Hills 90210. Now that's one that I only sort of watched because I was probably honestly too young to be watching it uh, appropriately. So certainly there are earlier shows in that de- that appeal to that demo that I just don't even know about and could be one of those. But four seasons was the show only four seasons, or was this person just on for four seasons? The connection, of course, is Joe. So I. Um, I guess my best guess is Beverly Hills 90210. Beverly Hills 90210 is your guess here. Oh, Heather. Heather, 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 Heather. You have no idea how close you are because this is a show that is a spinoff of Beverly Hills 90210. Jake, Jake Hansen. As uh, played by Grant Show, appeared in an episode of 90210 and courted the uh, one and only Jenny Garth as Kelly Taylor. Uh, and uh, he was a little bit too much of a bad boy and too old for her. And besides, he was only there to take his motorcycle and hightail it over to Melrose Place. Uh... Melrose Place is the correct answer. XOXO. Gossip Girl. Yeah. Daphne Zuniga played uh, Joe Reynolds, and uh, she was pretty much hot and heavy with Jake 
for a while and then uh heather locklear stole him away and she ended up with uh bad boy reed he got her pregnant and then he tried to kill her and so she ended up shooting him and then parents sued for custody oh it, it, it was crazy just good times good times oh, that old trope of all of that drama yeah i uh my melrose place obviously i didn't watch melrose place i knew heather locklear was on it but obviously that was sort of all that i had there so yeah and heather locklear uh one of the uh just for trivia's sake heather locklear one of the rare actresses who was a series regular but always got the credit as special guest star on Melrose place it was in her contract uh usually there's at least one actor who's like you know the biggest actor gets first billing and maybe the second biggest actor goes at the end with and but uh, she wanted special guest star all right i'm making a note for when i'm famous no wire hangers only blue m&ms credited as special guest star got it so close so close on that one but we did get the eight point question in that round which is pretty darn good if you're only going to get one get the highest scoring one we're going to add those eight points to the 10 points you had coming into the round which means we are going to enter the final round with 18 points on the board and round four as you know heather i don't have to tell you is the highest scoring round of our game the point values will increase to three five seven and nine here are the final four categories we will be using tonight. If you are a fan of the letter M, folks, then this round is for you. Kicking things off with movies, following that up with music, moving along to mashup, and we're going to round out round four and the game with mm, science. So, uh, movies is up first. Three, five, seven, or nine. I'll do five for movies. Five for movies. Good luck, Heather. And here is your five point movies question. We were just talking about the great portrayer of Joe Reynolds, Daphne Zuniga. Let's stick with her for a little while here. Daphne Zuniga gets saddled with John Cusack when the two both answer a rideshare wanted flyer in what Rob Reiner directed rom-com. I'll admit that romantic comedy is not my genre, and I have not seen a ton of John Cusack or Rob Reiner directed movies, which is unfortunate. Um, you mentioned the connection already, so I can't try to find a link to Melrose or Place. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I'm going to get this one. I believe that Say Anything is a John Cusack movie, so that's what I will guess. Say Anything. Say Anything is a John Cusack movie. It's a very, very good movie. In fact, unfortunately, his uh, co-star in that one was Ioni Sky. Late great John Mahoney in that one. John Cusack, one of my favorite actors. Uh, his body work is amazing. And I think you would really love this film. It's set on a college campus in a writing class. And it is called The Sure Thing. I'm making a note. All right. Well, you did not get that one correct. But there are no sure things in trivia. <laughs> but I'm uh, but uh, a sure thing is that music is up next. Uh, you have three, you have seven, and you have nine. How much for music? I'll go three here. Three points for music. Here is your question. Good-Hearted Woman was re-released as a duet in 1975 for an album entitled Wanted the Outlaws. This song was a number one country hit for who? 1975 and, well... See country music back in the day. My mind goes first to Dolly Parton. Let me talk myself through some other possibilities. Um, I think Patsy Cline, probably from back in the day. Uh, Johnny Cash, that's not where I'm going to go with this answer. I don't obviously know 
for sure. I was not confident on music, which is why I made it my three. Um, I could talk myself in more circles, but I don't think I'll come up with a better guess than Dolly Parton. So that's what I'm going to go with. Dolly Parton is your answer. Of course, Dolly Parton is uh, as classic as they come. She certainly was not a one-hit wonder who then moved to Germany. I mean, <laughs> we all know that's Little Piggy March. Uh, but yeah, she is not the answer here. In fact, uh, it's kind of an unexpected uh, pairing. Uh, the song originally released by uh, one of these artists, it did not really go over well on the charts. Um, then he decided to put together this compilation album uh, called Wanted, The Outlaws. And uh, it was kind of a, a bold renegade album, kind of bucking the uh, studio system that existed, as it were, in country music. And he pretty much got a nickname, reputation from that point on as being an outlaw. He is Waylon Jennings, and he sang this song along with Willie Nelson. So I would accept either of those answers, Waylon Jennings or Willie Nelson. I've definitely heard of them both. I've definitely heard of Outlaw and Willie Nelson associated. So I get it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And all country music's not my thing either, but uh, sometimes you got to know these things when you're king. <laughs> uh, we're going to move along to mashup. Uh, we have the two highest scoring questions still on the board. So let's, let's get well, at least one of them. Hopefully both mashup seven or nine. I'll go nine here. I'm intrigued. Nine points. Nine points. For a mashup, two phrases, each alike in dignity, linked together by a common word. Can Heather come up with the full phrase? After a magical award-winning performance as Andrew Cunanan, who was a one-time resident of the FBI's Most Wanted list, this actor moved to Las Vegas, freaking out audiences at the Luxor. Uh, well, the first part, I believe, is referring to the limited series about the assassination of Gianni Versace which just won a boatload of awards at the Emmys. And um, the character was played by uh, everyone's favorite part of Glee. Well, maybe not, but certainly one of the best parts of Glee, Darren Chris. I think that's the first part. And then you mentioned maybe moving to Vegas and Freak, which makes me think of the magician or illusionist or whatever he would style himself, Chris Angel, who I think his act was mind freak or something. I associate that term with him. So I believe the mashup is Darren Chris Angel. And wouldn't you pay to see that show? <laughs> it'd, be, it'd definitely be quite the uh, the double act. It would indeed. Uh, Darren Chris was on Glee. Uh, you are correct. He actually got his start uh, at a Michigan University uh, kind of club they put together a harry potter musical you can catch it on youtube it is incredible i saw this before anyone who darren chris was and i was instantly said that guy is going to be huge someday so i i will pat myself on the back for calling that one although i had no idea he'd suddenly be winning emmys uh darren chris is correct chris angel is correct darren chris angel is completely correct well done heather nine points huzzah you saw Darren Chris and you said, that kid's going places. Indeed. Well, nine points. Excellent job. We have one question left. It is worth seven points. Let's see if we can do a nice little daily double here at the end of round four. It's science. Are you ready? I. It's silence with a silent M and I am ready. Thank you. Thank you for the callback there. <laughs> or the <clears throat> callback, as it were. Uh, here is your seven-point science question. Walking on water is an illusion performed by magicians like Mr. Angel, 
Or, you know, if you're of a certain faith, miraculously done by another resident of heaven, but let's not go there. But walking on water is actually a common feat done every day by insects, thanks to what property of liquids? Hmm, I can certainly picture the little things that look like mosquitoes sort of skating across ponds and, and other bodies of water. I guess I've never really thought about the scientific phenomenon, but my educated guess here would be that that happens because of surface tension, which is one of the many wonderful things about water. Um, yeah, I guess su surface tension, the same thing that, that lets it stick to itself is also a thing that would let it, I guess, stick to itself enough that the, the right kind of insect that's light and with distributed weight enough would skate across it. Yeah, surface tension. I don't want to talk myself out of it if that's right. So I'm going with surface tension. Okay, very good. Yeah, jeez. All right. All right, surface tension. All right, fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, one, one, one would argue that just wait for it to freeze. And I mean, it's still technically water, but no, that would be cheating. I know. That would be cheating. Yeah. It would be cheating. And of course, when the magicians do it, they usually have some sort of uh, plexiglass that. Uh, just depending on where they put the cameras, you can't really see the plexiglass. That's how it's done, people. Sorry to burst your bubble. Chris well, Angel well is... have you gotten permission from the magician circle to reveal that? Are black ops people going to swoop down and shut this podcast down? Now I'm concerned. Well, if we're not back next week, then you know what happened. Uh, call your congressman, people. But, uh, you know, the best magician already revealed this. So, I mean, if they, did, if they didn't get him, uh, you know, what can I say? So, yeah, the uh, thing with water is that the hydrogen atoms tend to uh, clump together and bond really tightly. They measure this uh, phenomenon with uh, a measurement unit called energy per unit area. But Catchy. yeah, exactly. It, it's it's really just a lot of scientific gobbledygook to me. But, you know, they have to call it something that us lay people will understand. And so they just call it surface tension. So seven points for you. You got it right. <laughs> Woohoo! Thank you, my science. Indeed. Well, milady, uh, you got 16 points that round. Well done. We're going to add that to the 18 points you had uh, coming into round four. Almost an X to 2X situation there, but 34 points is an excellent score as we head into the confidence question. Here's how it is going to work, Heather. Only one question is before you. Only one answer is required. I will give you the category, and you must, must wager between 1 and 10 points. Get it right, and I will add it to your score. No questions asked, but get it wrong, and oh, Heather... Get it wrong, and mm, you'll mm, lose mm, those mm, precious mm, points. So I ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you in a category that I'm calling bonds that are bound? Oh, boy. Well, that could be almost anything. Um, so just lo looking at the number, I, I would really, it would bring me no greater pleasure than to end with a score of 42. So I'm going to think optimistically and wager eight points. Eight points on the confidence question. Bonds that are bound. Good luck, Heather. Here is your confidence question. And uh, if Jonathan Oakes is listening right now, you can turn the podcast off. This question is not for you. Christopher Lee and Yafet Koto are among the many actors who have portrayed James Bond villains on screen. 
They also happen to be the two actors who have played characters in those films whose names rhyme with each other. So, for your eight points, Heather, who were these 007 outlaws? Oh my goodness. Well, I know who Christopher Lee is. I don't know who the other person is. And I certainly don't know what their character names were. Although I'm hoping that I'll recognize them when you say them. Boy, I'm disappointed I'm not going to get my 42. Um, But all the Bond villains that I'm thinking of, like Goldfinger and Oddjob, those aren't it. So I am going to say I've had a delightful time and I am now prepared for you to reveal the answer to me. Okay. Christopher Lee, of course, we uh, know from many, many films from the days, the the vampires that he played, uh, the the Lord of the Rings, the villainous nature of himself. He's just, uh, he's a movie uh, legend. Yavakoto, uh, he was in uh, Midnight Run, the original Alien movie. Christopher Lee was the bad guy in the James Bond film, The Man with the Golden Gun. Uh, he was not playing a guy named Man. Uh, he played a <laughs> character with three nipples. That was his uh, bizarre uh, physical deformity because most Bond villains have some sort of physical deformity. His was a third nipple. And his character name was Scaramanga. Okay, yes, I have heard of that. Okay. Yes. Scaramanga. Uh, Yafet Koto was in my favorite Bond film, Live and Let Die, uh, where he played two characters. Uh, he was like uh, in almost whiteface for one character where he played a guy named Mr. Big. But that was just a cover for his true identity, which was as the leader of a make-believe Caribbean nation. And his name was Dr. Kananga. So I was looking for Kananga and Scaramanga. I see what you did there. Okay, very good. Hey, what can you say? You lost the eight points. I think maybe, I mean, you wouldn't have gotten it if you had wagered 007, but it would have at least been uh, thematic. But uh, no, 26 points, not bad at all. Uh, I don't recall if that how that compares to your first time, but I don't care because the quality of a conversation we had and the fun, at least on my end, uh, it, only, it only gets more with each time uh, I have you in the hot seat. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say before I send you packing? Like I mentioned before, uh, it was a blast. I think I improved a little bit on my score, but I definitely learned a lot. I have some notes of uh, movies to watch or rewatch, some Google Maps to look at, and uh, perhaps find myself a, a gypsy or two. So it was, as always, an enlightening experience. Mm-hmm, is all I have to say to that. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Heather, and uh, you may leave the hot thank you and i thank you all for listening we'll be back again next week with another brand new episode of beat my guest until then take care and bye-bye did you beat our guest or did our guest beat you tell us all about it on twitter at bmgpod or email us bmgpod at gmail.com also please review and rate us on itunes and if you liked what you heard spread the word this has absolutely not been a mark goodson bill todman production Fireball's gonna take to the sky. No way this year anyone's gonna die, and it's gonna be totally.